With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are tuned into the Gen X Show with Jeff Morton. Your host who behaves like he's 10 years older than he actually is. We talk horror movies, music, and culture from the generation that couldn't be bothered to put its stamp on society. And now, here's your host, me. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Gen X show. I am Jeff Morton. Um, I've been thinking about this. The subject we're going to do today is another one of my uh, one of my you know, kind of like Jeff thinks about something, and it's kind of wrapped up in the Gen X thing. And I'm going to go through the history of uh, not not an intense history. I don't know everything, um, but this will be like a history of the concept of uh, B movies. And then the second half, I'll get you'll get kind of talk about the concept of how the industry in ho- in Hollywood has been hollowed out. Um, and in the and in the first part, I want to really want to emphasize how much Gen Xers really got a lot of exposure to B movies through video rentals. And um, actually, there were major Hollywood releases that could probably go into B movies, like any any Carpenter movie, any Craven movie, and all the horror genre movies that came out. A lot of the action movies of the eighties were were technically quote unquote B movies. Um, and we'll kind of get into that because the concept of B movies was the lower budget stuff, and probably beginning in the thirties, once talkies uh, came into really the 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 domination and so that's we're talking about the 30s and 40s and the golden era of hollywood's like the mid 40s to like the late 50s um but there is a or maybe the early 60s but there is a you know the concept was the b movie would be the, the 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 b movie in a double bill it would be um and there was a lot of double double movie viewings it was it was two movies where you had a and there was often intermissions back in the day where you could go get up take a break so it was it would become like a marathon thing it would start in the afternoon and um go into the evening these were event things that would happen movies the concept of watching movies because there wasn't as much of them around at the time uh movies were um events and because there was no home video you relied on going out to see movies you didn't have accessibility 
at home. There was no TV, there was radio, and there was with the popularity of radio plays um, through the 30s and 40s really sort of uh, uh, gave you an indication of how popular home media would be. But the concept of B-movies was always the, the, the second on the double bill, and a lot of times that would be a Western. A lot of Randall Scott's uh, uh, Westerns were B-movie Westerns, and most of them were terrible. But Westerns was the most popular, quote-unquote, form of genre at that time. And then you get into the 50s, it became science fiction. Uh, and by the time you get to the 60s, it, would, it was replaced by uh, kind of like the art, uh, the, the nouveau stuff coming from France, which a lot of stuff was influenced by. And then by the time you get to the late 60s, it was replaced by horror movies, straight up exploitation horror movies which would which but by this time the double bill wasn't it didn't exist anymore it was um it was a different scenario but in the beginning it was the b movie was the second movie it was the lower budgeted second movie in a double billing and that is how the concept became part of modern parlance the the concept of a b movie is simply a lower budgeted movie Right. And you have to keep in context here during the golden age of Hollywood. Most movies were major budgeted studio movies. And most of the movies that you were able to see were the big productions. Um, a lot of the lower production movies were Westerns. And then the second part of that was noirs. Noirs and Westerns really crime. I think for those who don't know what film noir is, it's, it's, it's basically crime Exploration of crime, the seedy underbelly of things. Um, investigation therein usually involves a femme fatale. Uh, back then, that that was basically the the gist of what uh, noir was. So, through the first say forty, fifty years of Hollywood, it was a pretty I wouldn't say fifty, but the first forty years from the twenties to the sixties. There really was a, uh, a a sense that there was this delineation between the big budgeted stuff that everyone saw and the lower budgeted stuff that not everyone saw. Um, and what changed everything was New Hollywood, and I'll get to that in a bit. But the concept of having a, a, a quote-unquote B-movie was to have something that everyone can can kind of watch on the second bill um, starting in the 30s, and then through as as you get through uh, to specifically the 50s, it became drive-in movies. Um, the heyday of the drive-in was without a doubt the 50s and into the mid 60s. Uh, this was this was the heyday of that, and everything, almost everything that played at a drive-in, was a B movie. What would be classified as a B movie, something that is slightly lower, but I mean, didn't even have to be greatly uh under budgeted it, it could just be less than a blockbuster right because hollywood had this thing and this is one of the reasons the studio system collapsed on itself was everything was a colossal production think of like uh, there, there was a movie uh, that elizabeth taylor did in the late in the late 60s mid 60s or i forget cleopatra her and richard burton uh, colossal failure. It was a big, huge budget, and it just fell on its face. It was it was a, a, such a calamity that it really began Hollywood's uh, crisis uh, in the '60s. Of what do we do? We have all these big budget movies, which is all we know how to do, 
and they're falling on the uh, hello dolly was another one um uh, there, they, God, there was, uh, the, there was several that just came out in that time that were just colossal disasters, uh, big budgeted things that with huge productions that just no one wanted to see anymore. But one thing that was always popular going through the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties was B movies and in popular in a sense that they always made money. Um, and this is something that really was e- exploited by the new Hollywood generation. And these are the filmmakers who grew up on um, the 50s, 40s, late 40s into the early 50s, 60s B-movie culture. And it really influenced an entire group of Hollywood. Uh, Like I said, one of these days I'm going to do a a book, and I may have my friend Chris from Easy Writers Raging Podcast on to talk about this. But there was a book by Peter Biskin called uh, Easy Writers Raging, Raging Bulls about the new Hollywood generation from the late sixties into the late seventies and about how they really reshaped Hollywood, um, on the, on the backs of low budgeted films. Well, really starting with Bonnie and Clyde and then moving on to easy rider in 1968, there was a revolution in B movies because Hollywood studios began to understand that they could make a lot of money with low budgeted films. Okay. And low-budgeted films became um, um, something that, while not everyone hit, you could always have a baseline of of profit. And those things was were like created like with what happened. It was BBS basically, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing because I'll, I'll save that for the podcast. But there was a studio called BBS, um, and that they. Uh, Bert, Bob, and Steve. <laughs> uh, Bert Schneider, Bob Rafelson, and Steve Blauner. Uh, people from Legacy Hollywood. In fact, uh, uh, Bob Rafelson and, and uh, Bert Schneider were the ones who were behind uh, the monkeys. And eventually their movie that Jack Nicholson directed called Head. Um, they decided and understood that they could, they could give complete control to a certain set of filmmakers but their, their, the profit incentive was on the back end. Okay, and now this is getting into the weeds, so stay with me here. Starting in 68, uh, first it started out as Raybert, and then it turned into uh, BBS. The, the, what the, 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 the very concept of it was, was giving filmmakers like uh, Dennis Hopper, uh, Bob Bob Rafelson, who was you know, a producer and came from Hollywood Legacy, he did the same thing with Five Easy Pieces in the same studio. And uh, Peter Bogdanovich, another one. All these filmmakers, complete control of what they got, including Final Cut, for $1 million, which in 19... 19- uh, 68 was probably a lot. Uh, it would, would be, it would be the equivalent of about four or five million dollars now, I think. So that 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 money was all they got, but you can make whatever you want. And that was appealing to up and coming filmmakers, right? You get final cut, and not only that, you get back end points. Okay, which is a percentage of what comes in. Um. Very famously, Jack Nicholson 
had a deal like that. Jack Nicholson in 1989 uh, took a points deal for Batman, and plus I believe it was a, a cut of the merchandising. And I think he was following the George Lucas thing, um, which him controlling the merchandising of 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 Star Wars is really where Lucas made his money. Um, but there, Nicholson very famously was probably the most profitable points deal ever. Studios would, at least as you get later, would much rather just pay you, especially with with the advent of streaming, and I'll get to that in the second half. Would just rather pay you, and have your involvement in like there, including the filmmaker. So they don't like the the the, the points deals were really pioneered by New Hollywood. So you know, um, easy rider makes money. Um, but before that Bonnie and Clyde becomes a sensation with, uh, I believe that was Warner brothers, um, who, who they were with, um, BBS was going through Columbia because Bert Schneider had, a his family was involved with Columbia for ages. Um, so easy rider makes a lot of money. Uh, last picture show makes a lot of money. Five Easy Pieces makes a lot of money, all on limited budgets. Studios started getting stars in their eyes over what they could do with a limited budget. So this really revolutionized the B-movie. This B-movies became the normal movies as of 1968. It reshaped completely what you were able to do in Hollywood. Paramount was another one. Uh, Robert Evans, who was very famously liked putting people together. Technical, um, well-made movies from exciting filmmakers done on a small budget. And once again, stay tuned for this next year. I'm going to be having, I'll probably have Chris on for this. I haven't talked to him about this, but I'll probably have Chris on to talk about this. Movies that that really pushed the edge of the envelope and influenced by French New Wave, but doing it in an American way and doing it in a way that was um, sensitive to the baby boomers who were consuming movies post hippiedom through the seventies. They famously burned out. And by the time you get to 19, oh, I don't know, by 1976-ish, the new Hollywood wave really start, begins to burn down. And a lot of it had to do with uh, the, the, the triple whammy of The Godfather, The Exorcist, and uh, Jaws. All tremendous movies. All represented the capitalistic part of major Hollywood studios. So their move away from that became the summer blockbuster, which was the equivalent, excuse me, of the, I'm popping the mic, I'm really sorry. Um, it, it was the equivalent of the early studio, big, but not blockbuster, but build big budgeted studio extravaganzas with dancers and musical numbers and, you know, Gene Kelly dancing and all that stuff. That, that was the equivalent of it, but it was replaced by movies that they could place in the summer and make a shitload of money. And they did that again with Star Wars. And when Star Wars, I would say, officially began killing off the new Hollywood movement, even though George Lucas himself was part of it. But it also changed the substance and color of what B-movies were. Okay, Because the B-movie th- the thing went from 
being the prevalent thing to becoming the the video generation the the vhs betamax generation i've told the story over and over my my family was the last family on the planet that had betamax uh cassettes um we didn't even give that up until mid mid 80s and by that time it was long dead as a, as a form of uh <clears throat> as a form of uh viable uh, home media but home media specifically very specifically video revolutionized what you were able to do with um b movies home video became a 20 year long oh maybe more than that 25 year long bastion of not only direct to video stuff which is more c grade um uh, video c-grade stuff i mean if anyone has ever seen the movie jack frost um that is what it came out in i think 1997 that movie is a perfect example of of c or d grade direct-to-video um, stuff it's a fantastic movie it's a funny movie it's a terrible movie but it's all of those things at once i highly suggest people watch that so in the 80s horror which was the the kind of the 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 B under the B in the seventies, where all these people were able to take basically take take stuff still to drive-ins with grindhouse stuff. The B under the B, which is basically C movies, really became the B movies of the eighties. Eighties B movies became horror movies. Horror movies took over the market for uh, B cinema. And what that did was what studios found out was that they could pay a little mo money to a, a horror director and cut a deal with them based on the video uh, sales. And guys like Cronenberg, Craven, Carpenter, Romero, um, all the big ones, uh, even David Lynch. Uh, became uh, home video millionaires because teenagers, specifically Gen X teenagers, would rent these throughout the 80s and 90s and watch them at home. Things that they couldn't see in the movie theater or didn't see in the movie theater. They would gain a life outside. These were very much be lower budgeted films but not really terrible things because these movies would go into theaters. I need to stress this. These B movies, all of them would go into theaters. Drive-ins were dead by the late eighties. Okay. So these would go into theaters, have a short life, go directly to video, but all of these are theatrical releases. Every single one of them. A great example of this is life force. The uh, Toby Hooper, Dan O'Bannon uh, movie had a much bigger life outside of your your movie run now back in the day it would take about six seven months for a movie to finally make it to video it was a long time it was a long delay and i remember waiting for movies to hit hit video um i remember for whatever reason i remember star trek 4 when i came out in, what 86 i remember waiting for that one to come to, to come to video I don't know why that sticks in my brain. 
but but I remember waiting for that particular movie to hit video. And when it finally did, I remember it was like the summer. And we had my family had a big thing where we would got it. But that bit, Star Trek movies, those were all actually not big budgeted movies as of as of Star Trek Two, science fiction, right? The and and these are kind of genres that would pop up, um, that would gain a life on video. The B movie became the bastion of home video, and these movies would um, sometimes outsell major blockbusters in video rentals. Studios began to understand that there was a life for these movies that aren't necessarily your top grade blockbusters. And there was an entire genre of very creative filmmakers who feasted on this. And then came the advent of streaming. In the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk to you about how analytically driven streaming has hollowed out the, the, the grand middle of Hollywood and has become a problem, and, um, and I'm not sure how to fix it. So anyway, uh, we'll talk about that on the second half of the podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It was sometime in, I remember Netflix really began eating into Blockbuster about, oh, when was that? 2008? I think it was when I remember first being really aware of Netflix. And then their direct-to-consumer to mail uh, DVD service um, was something that really revolutionized things. People were sick of Blockbuster because Blockbuster had had basically forced out all the really good mom and pop uh, video stores and had become this jar large parasite where you just couldn't get everything at a at a at a video store anymore because Blockbuster had standards. They wouldn't sell the edgy stuff, and uh, some of the stuff was edited. Um, plus they would overcharge you with, uh, uh, video late fees, all that stuff. They were, they were just, they become, they had become a parasite. So in some ways, Netflix and their, and then the appearance of Netflix and the fact that you didn't have a time limit on how long you kept these video, these, these DVDs was, uh, a revolution and, I think it was about 2010-ish. 2010, they began experimenting with streaming. And a lot of the stuff's, stuff that they had on streaming was pretty terrible. Um, and it, it, was, and it, was, it was really C-grade uh, movies that they would have on their, available for streaming. But you still had to get everything via, via their, their uh, mail-in DVDs. When they really started going all in on on the stream aspect was probably about eleven or twelve, uh, two thousand maybe around two thousand thirteen, 
And then they started doing their own original productions. Everyone knows the history of Netflix. And you get to where, the, what's, where they are right now, which is this giant monolith who basically caused a, a two unions to go out on strike for several months because of how they operate. But more than that, there has been this trend on, on, on uh, the streaming services, which all popped up. So you're talking about, which basically all popped up during the pandemic. This was something, I mean, like Disney Plus existed before that, but a lot of these were just the pandemic influenced this. And I'm going to make this as a caveat to what I'm talking about right now, because the pandemic altered business in ways that I think maybe uh, we couldn't have foreseen, but there were some things that were heading that way. There was already a, 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 a everyone stays at home kind of thing. Movie theater experiences were beginning to lessen the movie theater time and was becoming your, your time in a movie theater was becoming less significant. And a lot of that had to do with the way how things are charged. So movie theaters began to adapt by, by having meals. You know, you have, you have an experience you get, you get to eat while you watch a movie and it's still going on to this day. It helps a bit. Um, but there, but movies became really expensive. It's sort of like what happened with DVDs and CDs back in the late nineties, specifically when CDs became disproportionately expensive for what they contained therein because um, record companies had a monopoly and it really took Napster to break that. Although I think Napster and eventually Spotify and uh, Apple and all these things have, have gone very far the other way. And now artists can't make any money on what they produce in a similar way. You got streaming. Um, you, you have all these streaming services that popped up. Now, a lot of these streaming services are having a bad time right now. And a lot of this has to do with, and people have gone round and round and round and round about how, why the movie business right now is broken. And I have my own theory. And this is, goes to back to the history of what I was talking about earlier. The meat and potatoes of the, of the movie business has really always been B-movies. Not, not terrible movies, and I'll get to that in a second, but B-movies. The second tier of movies that, that people would watch, um, be it at the, the second billing in a double feature, be it at a drive-in, be that on home video. It was the meat and potatoes of what made and propped up the movie business. The movie business was a, a something that really was part of that, that, that was, that was part of the people. The people spoke and that what the people wanted at that time were these types of movies, movies that, that they could like, as in my generation, you could take home and watch with friends. Um, but what happened with the convenience of streaming and everything being available instantly was it hollowed out the middle and basically killed the B movie. People say, well, what about Netflix? They got all these big, big budget things. And what about uh, Amazon Prime? They have all these big budget things. And what about Apple? They got all these big budget things. It's not about that. It's about the, the quality vis-a-vis -vis the budget. And 
people understand if you're going to go somewhere else, say like if you, if you get a direct-to-video thing in the, in the 80s and 90s uh, or direct-to-DVD, any of those things, you understand the quality of what you're getting, right? You, under, you and intellectually understand that it's not going to be what you are going to see in a movie theater. Same thing is with like, if you get a movie that is only playing late at night in a movie theater in the 1990s, you knew well, chances are it's probably not as good. Um, if you see a movie that went directly to like, it was in the theater for one week and then went to the dollar movies, you know, that that's probably not as good. You're informed mentally about the quality of the movie or about how popular it is by the time you consumed the movie. It was available and there for you, right? If you were renting a movie that's, that is, you know, is direct to video, you know exactly what it's about, right? What has happened with streaming, with everything going to streaming, is that there is a lot of the movies on streaming are terrible. They're, tr they're terrible to an extent that they are rivaling uh, some of that C-grade, um, uh, like, like, you know, kind of like that Cinemax porn looking um, stuff, you know, things that are late at night and, and soft core porn. That's what I, that's the word I was looking for. Um, the things that, that would be paying late at night at Cinemax. And, and once again, the cable companies, late night, HBO, late night Showtime, late night Cinemax, all of these things, you, you expected a certain quality of what was playing right then. Well, since this the, the streaming advent, the giant budgeted stuff has has been intermixed with the direct to video C grade quality stuff, and you don't know and you are not informed of which how bad the movie is. There are some things that are on streaming that get trending or all of this stuff that are terrible films. They are god-awful movies, and a lot of them are on Netflix. And these movies are get the same kind of treatment that a blockbuster does. Same thing with Amazon. Same thing with Apple. Same thing with Paramount. Same thing with Disney. Well, Disney's less like that because Disney owns Fox and all that stuff. It, that's a different scenario. But definitely Paramount and Max... Um, these are, these are things, but that create that sort of illusion that this is something that is because everyone sees it on streaming, that there was a lot of effort into it. One of the reasons the, the, the movie business is struggling is because the stuff that is great, that is lower budgeted is treated the same as a C grade crap, crap that you will see from direct-to-video stuff back in the day and it's all intermixed there's no delineation and what it has done is that hollywood has seen that these money these movies don't make that kind of money anymore because the theater experience has been basically destroyed so what Hollywood does is say, okay, we are going to either make the worst movie possible or the best movie possible. And there's this concept in, 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 if you, my, you know, the other thing that I do is I have a podcast about the Denver Nuggets and basketball. 
One thing that uh, the advent of analytics in basketball has done is remove completely remove the mid-range, um, which is mid, mid-range shots that um, basically did anything inside the three-point arc. For those of you who aren't basketball fans, the things inside the uh, three-point arc that aren't next to the basket. So it's in, anything in, in, in that range. They no longer value that. So what what happens is it 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 hollows that out. There's no one who stands in the middle anymore. So everything is either a layup, a three, or a free throw. And it has made the game worse, in my view. Same thing with streaming. Streaming has hollowed out the middle. And you either get crap or you get an ultra big budgeted thing. And it has done a huge, huge disservice to quality in Hollywood. Mid-budgeted stuff that is treated right in a B-movie sense can make you money. And it also can reward the viewer. But what we get is either utter garbage or multi-million dollar huge budgeted things. And nothing in the middle. And we thrive in the middle we no longer thrive in the middle when we, we no longer see b-grade movies we knew no longer see chances made on these things like a24 tries to do that but a24 is known as this hoity-toity prestigious thing and people kind of have a view of that and i think I think we are doing ourselves a disservice by what we have done with streaming, the convenience of it and the way that very specifically Netflix operates has completely undercut the experience of watching movies. B movies are what was made with a bread and butter of Hollywood and it no longer exists. It's either crap or brilliant. Nothing in the middle. And that's it. All right, folks, thank you all for joining me on this uh, ranty version of the Gen X show. This will be the last Gen X show of 2023. Uh, I will be back actually next week. Um, I'm going to have my friends Magnus and Pat on. They went to U2 at the Sphere. So we're going to get a full report about their concert going experience and uh, a lot more there. So stay tuned for that. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Gen X show. I'll be back very soon with another episode. Goodbye.